Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Tony Dudzik, Pick Guardian. Jared Brandon, Brandon Wound Pickups. Hey, this is me, Todd Novak. We are super thrilled that you are listening to our show, the Guitar Knobs podcast. In our fourth year, yay. Four. All the, I can't hear from all the Jeez. applause. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to be doing some fun stuff when it comes to... It's actually coming really fast. Yes, it is. It's really, really fast. Yeah. Uh, in April. But tonight, what do we do on the show? What are we going to do tonight on the show, Jared? We are going to talk about the person on the line right now. <laughs> That's brilliant. Tony, what do we normally do so on the show? So in general... <laughs> We uh, we like to talk about boutique gear, gear in general, but specifically boutique gear and the builders of said gear, and that can include things and things like guitars and amps and pedals and uh, accessories like pickups and and uh, oh pick guards. I know a guy that does pick guards too. Yeah, I like him. That? Yeah, he's a nice. I like guy. him when he shows up to the podcast. Rack. Yeah, I like one on ones too when we learn good stuff. Yeah, yeah, we just had one of those. But so anyhow, we we like to talk. In this case, we have a, a very very good builder on our show. Yes, that's right. And not only a builder of guitars, but of other things too, which we will get into later. Yes. Uh, who are you on the line right now, Mister Man? <laughs> Uh, Joe Balaguer of Balaguer Guitars. All right. Yes. Joe Balaguer of Balaguer Guitars, uh, recommended to us by not more than one people. Yes. More, more than, than one, one people. people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh and, and obviously, if you take time to go check him out, you will see, wow, okay, he's building a lot of great stuff, and a lot of people are playing that stuff, some some very talented people. Where, by the way, can people go to find what you're doing right now on the internets, Joe? All the normal social outlets. Um, Instagram, it's just Ballier Guitars, same as Facebook, and uh, just BallierGuitars.com. So any of those. Awesome. Beautiful. Lovely. All right, we're going to get this thing going. We got a couple of announcements to handle, uh, some some uh, information to share. And uh, then we're going to get on with uh, what's going on in our music week, which we're uh, very excited to get to. So, Joe, hang on tight. Uh, we're going to get through some stuff here. Uh, we want to say thank you to Rode, Rode Mics for providing the Rodecaster Pro, our beautiful little mothership here, mm. and the black thing with all the colors and it's got buttons lights and whatnots and, and sound effects. And that's right. If you are thinking about starting your own podcast or needing to upgrade your current podcast or just want to record some stuff in your home hmm. uh, or in your studio. That's cool. This is a great way to do it, and it's uh, got four mic inputs and levels for everything and all kinds of great little uh, tricks and gadgets. Well, the cool thing stuff. about this, too, is it gives you the ability, as we're doing today, to connect to someone remotely. Absolutely. You can do that on the phone, too. On Either by phone or, yeah. by, and, or by the Internet. And Bluetooth and all kinds of stuff. It's, 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 it's a very well-thought-out piece of equipment. Extremely good piece of gear. And also for the Procaster mic, which we uh, uh, use. Every That's day. What we're using them right now. We use them. We use them all the time. They got articulating arms. That's correct. I they got big, fuzzy right pop, pop, pop guards. Yeah. It's pretty handy dandy. So thank you to Rode Mics for providing that to us. Uh, also, I want to, I got a great uh, email exchange with this fella, uh, Joey Calio. Uh, he is a singer songwriter 
guitar player, bass player, founding member of Seven Horse and Dada. Uh, and Dada was, they had a hit back in the, yeah, do you remember that? I do like remember that. Disneyland. Yeah. Yes. And I won't sing it because then it's going to, well, I won't. No, I won't. I'm not going to sing it. Just go check it out. It's check on it Spotify. Out. I won't um, leave then. Yeah. So anyways, he says, hey, love your podcast. I'm mostly playing guitar in Seven Horse these days, which makes listening to your podcast extremely entertaining and informative. Uh, Seven Horse, he, just a little bit about that real quick. Um, they, uh, they've got a song called Meth Lab Zoso Sticker, <laughs> which is a great title. Uh, and that was featured in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. So oh, he's, wow. he's got a couple of big fat one. He's big got some shackles. Underneath it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, anyway, so he says, I travel between Seattle uh, and LA uh, quite a lot. And when I'm on the plane, Guitar Nubs has become my go-to podcast. Thank you, sir. Yes. Thank you. We Welcome appreciate that. to the family, my friend. So far, I have purchased two pedals uh, that he has subsequently tracked with because of the show hmm. and and as well started using the Three Monkey Solderless Cables. Doggone it. <laughs> Solder. solder. Pretend there's no L. I know. Just say you tell solder. me that every time. It's just a thing. I can't. My tongue won't make it. So anyways, he uses those cables. I use those cables. Those are good cables. Go check out Three Monkeys. Uh, and anyway, so those two pedals are the Wrought Iron Effects Orchrist. Right. <laughs> That's the one with the, like, the sword that lights up. Oh. That's a good one. Yeah. And uh, the Beatronics Royal Jelly. Oh, that is yep. A, that is a lovely. I know pedal. someone who has that. There's yeah, a guy at the Jared's table here. It's on my board. I'm gonna get it someday. All right. So, anyways, <laughs> he offered his four on the floor, and here it is: the exotic EP boost. Thank I mean, you. It's pff, that pedal is just magic. It yes. is. Uh, he says it's simple, versatile, essential first gain stage, pretty much always on. It just makes your overall tone better. And interestingly enough, I shifted mine from first gain stage to a third, and it sounds awesome. Ooh. So check, try that if you have one. Mix it up, man. Put it, you know, elsewheres. Uh, also, the Jackson Amps Broken Arrow. He says the Broken Arrow is a super versatile and seems to stack well. It has two gain stages built in. One side provides a clon-like boost, and the other side has a nastier overdrive. The Broken Arrow is more transparent, uh, so for a guy that uses a lot of different guitars, the Broken Arrow is a, a very good choice. Number three is the Strymon El Capistan. Mm. Yep, well, there's another one. <laughs> uh, always sounds right. Very versatile. Been getting into the uh, Donner Prince Booner lately. I'm not really sure what that is. I mean, that must be like a setting on there. Uh, but uh, if I'm just going to have one delay, it's got to be the uh, El Capistan. Uh, and and then lastly, the Strymon Flint. Great reverb, great tremolo. Again, helpful in a limited pedal situation. That's a pretty solid board. You can yeah. do just about anything with that with those four pedals. Oh, I would say so. Amazing. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, Joe Calio, for uh, just a great email exchange and um and for reaching out and sharing what's going on in your guitar world and best of luck to you and your band gentlemen we need to find out what's going on in music world this week tony you're gonna lead us off and then we're gonna go to our man joe balaguer on the phone okay so yeah this is actually kind of cool and it's actually a lesson learned okay so i don't know you know a handful of episodes ago we talked about uh the uh Mid-60s uh, Moserate combo that I picked up. 
uh, neck body. Oh, right, right. And um, I, I, I was trying, you know, and, and this is the lesson learned, I was trying to use um, so-called replica parts for like the bridge right. and the tailpiece, and it was missing, it had, it had the wrong nut on it. So I got everything together, and the, so, the so-called re- replica bridge... Um, if, if anyone out there is, is familiar with Moserites, the necks are very narrow, and the string spacing is very narrow. So Jared's giving a big thumbs down on that right now. Yeah. But he's got hands twice the he's, size of a normal he's human. He's got monkey paws. But um, so I, I had the, the bridge. I mean, it's, it's actually, looks-wise, was a pretty good replica, except that it had 55-millimeter spacing E to E. And a Moserite needs about 50 millimeters hmm. or sometimes less. So um, I was just not happy. I mean, by the time the strings got to the last fret, I mean, they, they were riding off the edge of the fretboard. Yeah. Terrible stuff. So I, you know, I just kept looking and trying to find things, trying to find you know used ones, whatever. And then I remembered that a friend of mine, Bob Shade, who owns uh, Hallmark Guitars, always seems to have Moserite parts. He bought a bunch of stuff from one of the guys, I guess, that used to buy, used to work for Moserite. So I contacted him. He actually had a couple of the uh, new old stock bridges from the 60s on on eBay, I think. So I contacted him, and he gave me a, the buddy deal on the bridge. And he also had the nut. If the, Moserites have a, a, a metal nut that is more of a string guide, but it looks cool, okay. <laughs> as opposed to like a bone nut kind of thing. So he had one of those. So I, I got the right parts. They came in the other day. I put everything back in, and it's just like, boom! It just plays incredibly well. I mean, it's so the lesson learned is sometimes you got to spend a little dough to get something that works best for a particular instrument. Right. That was my lesson. All right, lesson learned. Uh, Joe, what is going on in your music world this week? Uh, really just recovering from the Winter Nam show last month um, and just trying to, you know, kind of keep my uh, head above water at the shop. But other than that, just uh, really digging. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of He Is Legend, but I've been really rocking that album a lot lately this, this week in the shop. So it's kind of what's been going on with me. Awesome. Jared? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seeing so, as you're the only guy aside from Todd that hasn't talked yet. Yeah. Well, so um, <laughs> I got some really cool things coming up in the world. Uh, number one, I confirmed a table for the Summer Nam. So there he is. Put it on your calendar, July 9th j- through this, the uh, July 11th. You're going to go to Nashville and stop by Brandon Pickups booth. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to be there too. Yeah, and I am going to uh, showcase what I had just. I finally figured out how to make uh, noiseless Jazzmaster pickups. That's big, very big, and they uh, they sound like Jazzmaster pickups, which is pretty awesome. So check that out. Check that out. Uh, as far as what's been going on in my guitar world, it's kind of a shop related thing. It's not really pickups, but. I have a laser in my shop that I use for a lot of different things. Right, disco. 
Exactly. Uh, <laughs> disco. Dance off, dance off. Do you do yeah. you do laser light shows? I do, and I cut foam for packaging. And I cut um, vulcanized fiber for pickup parts or whatever to to create stuff uh, or for repairs. And my laser tube blew up yesterday. Oh, uh, boy. And I was like, dang, got it. And I thought, wait a minute. I have mine from the last laser that caught on fire. So I had another laser tube, and it was the same kind. So it's a cheap K40 laser, in case anybody's wondering. You know, the one from China. And... um but it doesn't have the coronavirus on it because it's. I've had it. It's been in country for a while, so <laughs> well, don't worry. That's good. Um, I was really. I was <laughs> I'm sitting anyway, awfully close. So Tony, this, we got to keep trying, right? So today, <laughs> today I replaced the laser tube, and it worked. It was working awesome, like way better than it did before. He just yeah. said it was working. Ah, oh, was that a past tense? Or I don't know. Is it is it continuing to work, or is there more to the story? There's more to the story. Oh. So I think I was putting too much of a load on this thing because I, I was giving it long jobs to do, and it blew up today. So mm. Sounds like you need a new machine. Yeah, I do. That's an I old do. machine, too. I, I'm on top of that. I got my good buddy Wolf from Wolf Tone Pickups. He's sending me his old K40 laser. It's like, the same thing, isn't it? It's the same thing, but... Hopefully his doesn't blow up the tubes. <laughs> All right, right. and more to come on that. Yeah, do you probably. know what the definition of insanity is? <laughs> uh, if you keep doing the same thing and expect, expect a, a different, different result, result. <laughs> I'm not going to do that job like that anymore. I could tell you that. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, I know what not to do now. Thank you. Okay. But I thought that was a just kind of a cool story. Yeah. Anyway. How about putting some PVC plastic in there? I could do that. Yeah. All right. Do you know what happens when you combine the laser with PVC plastic? You die? <laughs> it creates chlorine gas. Oh, Yay. my. No, don't do that, everybody. Yes. Sheesh. That's serious. That's a, like a sticker on the that's Serious stuff. Yeah, yeah, do not do that. Uh, What's up with you, Todd? Well, thank you, Jared. I received in the mail today, um, I, I used one of my Christmas gift card things that, that one of my that my uncle sent me <laughs> and uh, rich uncle yeah <laughs> well, he's an uncle um so i i hit my uh our, our friends up at sweetwater and finally pulled the trigger ah. on a big shot a radial big shot aby i have been looking f- at all the different aby's watching all the videos and why this and why not that and what to look for and everything and i just settled on this one I was pleasantly surprised when it arrived in the mail. This thing is heavy. I when for whatever reason when you look at it online, maybe it's cuz the graphics, it looks like it's going to be really just sort of a a commercial grade kind of like uh not commercial grade but consumer grade yeah. just kind of thin box home thing. electronics. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. And it, it is not. That is a That's hefty, very yeah. solid pedal. I have one. I have one very similar to this at home. It's just the best thing in the world. Yeah. So I'm very excited to start combining amps and stuff because as I and I just put up an IGTV uh, uh, post about this where we walk through all of the uh, different uh, features and all that stuff. So, nice. Yeah. Really cool. So. Thank you, uh, Sweetwater, for sending that my way. Yeah, the ra- that whole the radial makes some really interesting um, 
maybe not so much effects pedals, but definitely utility pedals. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is, I mean, it, it's a pedal. It's not, it's, this is supposed to go on your board. It's got pedal foot switches. It's, it, that's what it's, it's not meant for just like sitting on top of a box somewhere. Yeah. You certainly, you can do that, but, uh, so anyways, yeah, very cool. Nice. And who knows, uh, I may end up making it out uh, starting to gig with two different amps. So ah, giddy nice. up. Thicken up my sound. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> that's I hate that. I don't even know why I did that. <laughs> oh, that's Scott's dad, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, anyways. Well, uh, okay, Joe. Yes, Are sir. you exhausted yet? Not at all. So going back to the ABY box, yeah. uh, our buddy Paul over at PLX Effects built me one. I think it was like last year, and it totally changed the way that I dial in my tone, being able to kind of have two amps really uh, going through. Oh, yeah, man. And it was just something that he built himself, and he texted me, hey, do you want one of these? I was like, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just uh, – I never thought of just running both of my – like two of my amps at the same time. I just would always just – unplug one and plug into the next or whatever mm-hmm. um but yeah what, so what amps are you running uh well it depends uh in our shop we have a small showroom that i have uh, about five or six tube heads and then a bunch of pedal boards and modelers and a whole bunch of stuff but i kind of gravitate towards um a mesa boogie triple crown 50 watt head and a mesa boogie triple rectifier um that's a lot of boogie for the for the heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, oh, not it's, for it's, jazz. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a wall of sound for sure when you're running those two together. But um, but that's kind of my that's my, my shoegaze rig. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely a, a Mesa guy. I mean, I, I love everything, but I that's the that's cool. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, I'm I'm excited to to check mine out. Um, I remember hearing early on when I was like learning about guitar stuff. I, I for whatever re- reason, remember hearing that Mick Mars would on would have like I could have sworn I remember the number twelve, like twelve amp, twelve completely different amps, like garbage amps, awesome amps, old amps, new amps, like just just wall of crazy ampness. Hmm. Which that sounds awesome, <laughs> but highly uh, impractical. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe not. Uh, on this pedal board, I've got seven ABYs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, all right. Well, hey, Joe, we need to find out something right now. One, two, one, two, three, four on the floor. All right, Joe Balaguer, give us your four on the floor. Sure. So as far as overdrive and distortion goes, I really have been digging um, this pedal called the Rift Child. Uh, my buddy Kurt Ballou, he builds these in Massachusetts under his uh, company. It's called God City Instruments. He also plays in a band called Converge. Um, but he, it, it's kind of like his take on, uh, I can't remember the exact pedals he it's inspired from, but I know it's inspired by like a boss overdrive and like a boost in one. Um, but what I use it for is to, uh, just push the tube amp I'm using slightly. So that's definitely one, uh, that's, you know, you have a, a boost function, you have a gain knob and you have a high and low knob. It's pretty simple. It's just a four knob overdrive pedal. 
Um, and the aesthetics of it's really cool. If you, if you guys ever check it out, it's like a, almost looks like an eighties inspired, like, uh, I don't know, like hair metal type of pedal. But anyway, um, that's definitely one for sure. That's going to be on my board for a while. The next thing would be my reverb, which is a, it's an Epigaze audio Ascension reverb. Um, so Epigaze audio are friends of mine. Uh, this pedal has two functions. It has, um, three different reverb modes. Uh, so it has a hall type of reverb, a shimmer, uh, with like some cool artifacts behind the reverb and a tremolo reverb. Um, and then it has a separate button on the pedal uh, for an underlying synth pad. And then the third button on the pedal uh, controls the key that that pad is in, which is pretty, pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's a uh, fade knob on the side of the pedal that you can fade in how much of the pad you want in your mix. Mm. Um, usually I have that all the way up and I'll use that to kind of, you know, either solo over or just create like more ambient noise if I'm doing chords or something. Um, so that is definitely a pedal you guys should check out. Cause you can throw awesome. Yeah. You can throw that in the loop, uh, or you can also just, there's like a send and return on it. And then there's also an in and out. So there's different routing options you can do with it. But the main three knobs for the reverb side, uh, I think there's a mix and then there's like a height and ethos, which I think just controls the, um, uh, the, the way the reverb reverberates, uh, depending on what mode you're in and just the, um, I think that the trail, I can't remember exactly what those knobs do per se. I just kind of tweak as to, uh, I see fit, but sure. Those two for sure. And then um, the other two aren't as exciting, but it's definitely staple pedals on my boards. It's just a uh, mini um, polytune uh, or, yeah, mini polytune tuner. Uh, and then um, a TC Electronic Century gate, uh, just the gate, like my high gain amps that I run the, the board through. Mm. Um, so those four pedals kind of cover all the stuff that I do, at least. Well, all right. That's very sexy. <laughs> Especially the tuner. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> when, when you find a good one, that's like, that's it. Well, yeah. that one in particular, I think, is pretty... A tuner's uh, like a wedding ring, man. You know what I mean? It is? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's like, don't screw with my tuner. That's the one. I got. I the found one that works. T- tuner's more like your wife. It just it gets you going. Uh, yeah, you let's know. see how this goes. No, Straightens boy. you out. That's <laughs> right. what it does. Oh, Doesn't it? Does your wife tell you if you're in tune? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she uh, tells me when I'm out of tune more so. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing those. I especially like the, uh, sure. that, that uh, um, Epigaze. That, what an interesting name, too. Epi- Epigaze. I'm assuming it has to do with, like, Epic Shoegaze? Maybe? Honestly, I'm not even sure what yeah. it stands for. But um, just to throw one other thing, it's, it's only four pedals, but the other pedal I do have on the board all the time is uh, the PLX Bion Boost because that just tightens everything up. But if I'm limited to four pedals, those are the four pedals I would choose. Well, we can in the in the in the uh, uh, in lieu yes of the tuner. Well, in lieu of the tuner, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll go with that one. So tell us a little bit more about that that, that pedal real quick, the PLX. Yeah. So the Bion Boost, um, and you guys know Paul. Oh, yeah. uh, the the 
the buy-in boost is just, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say it's his take on a range master, but I feel like that's kind of what he was going for. Um, and it's just a one knot boost. So it really just tightens up, uh, everything that you kind of want to be tightened up with, you know, an overdriven amp. Um, so I think the newer version has like a tone and a gain knob. Uh, there's just one boost knob and usually I just run everything at 12 o'clock, um, and just kind of mess around with the gain knob to see how it reacts with whatever amp I'm putting it in front of. Um, so I kind of use it as like how you would use like a range master boost or like a clean boost to just tighten up a, a dirty amp. But awesome. Well, and you know who it's built by, which is, I think it's the more you get into this, the more that matters. We were, you know, we were sitting at, uh, at dinner after our last episode and we were talking about, uh, uh, pedals and stuff. And, uh, uh, I had given one to John Esterly to check out and, and he, he looked at it and, he's, and he looks on the back and it says, it says, Oh, you know, hash, uh, pound sign. Oh, Oh one. And his eyes just got really big and it was like, that's cool. Right. <laughs> and we know who made it. And it was like the first one. And so it, it gets into this element of, it isn't just a pedal. It's, you know, the person who made it, it's, you know, if you got low number, it's kind of like having a first edition book or something. It's kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. Or, or, uh, you know, a, a, a specific color series that they've done or something that the collectability factor is really fun and interesting in the pedal world. But let's talk about guitars, man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so how'd you come up with that name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted the most difficult name to pronounce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh man. Yeah. So t- just really quick, um, your, uh, your guitars that, that you are making, mm-hmm. uh, these are all totally original designs. Um, right. Or what seems to be. I'm, yeah. 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 So the, uh, some of the models are obviously, taking inspiration from, you know, different J and T and, uh, other style body shapes, but I tend to make them slightly more offset, different pickguard shapes, different dimensions. I contour the heel instead of doing a block heel, um, and just kind of make them a little bit more modern. Uh, cause obviously I pull inspiration from the guitars I grew up playing, but, sure. um, I try and do my own twist on them. Um, but yeah, yeah. You, well, something that you just said out there, which was uh, you, you try to make them more modern. It seems as though, especially when you look at you know your artist list and stuff, um, mm-hmm. there is a bend towards the more, not necessarily heavy, just more modern style of playing. Um, and what I found interesting about your guitars is that the, you're whenever you start to think about that kind of music or heavier music or highly technical music, it, you kind of say, okay, well, that guitar is going to look like this. It's going. I know exactly what kind of shredder guitar this is going to look like, or I know what kind of extreme-looking guitar this is going to look like. Um, one thing I, that I really appreciate about your guitars, and we'll get into you know, how you've come up with a lot of this, is that they, they don't they don't have to feel like that. They, they, uh, you can tell that, that they're inspired, but you've taken them further. So um, they uh, will, uh, you know, I think they'll be in, 
in style a lot longer, if I can say that, you know, because I think we all know some of those guitars that I'm talking about, like you can get for just about nothing these days uh, when things fall out of, uh, fall out of fashion. Um, but uh, anyways, I mean, that's, that's a purely aesthetic thing to, well, not purely, but to a degree, that's a, that's a very aesthetic thing. But yeah, I, I really appreciate that you've found a, an, a nice area to offer something that has a modern flavor, um, but that is appealing to many. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Cool. Well, and everybody, that's it. And uh, we're going to go out on a high note. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> yes. Let's follow Tony's lead here. Tony? Yes. So um, I'm assuming that the, in, the, in the beginning, uh, you built everything yourself. Yep. Yeah, and now it looks like you, you have some folks helping you out, of course. And then you also have a line that is made uh, primarily overseas, but I, I'm guessing you bring those in and tweak them a little bit and allow people to customize things. So let's go back to you know when you first started making you know, your own instruments. Sure. Yeah, so I, uh, I went to Luthery School in 2009. Um, out in California at this place called uh, the Guitar Craft Academy. It's part of the Nations Institute um, in Hollywood, California. Um, so I went out there in 2009, learned how to build guitars. Some of the teachers were working from, you know, Fender, GNL, a bunch of places. Ron Thorne taught us inlaying. And after that, I just kind of uh, started working out of a repair shop, doing restorations and repair stuff. And worked for a few other builders uh, over the years, but didn't actually start building my own guitars under my own brand name until 2014. Um, so over the years, you know, I built guitars from buddies and mainly did repair and restoration work uh, up until 2014. Um, so in 2014, uh, I was living in California in Sherman Oaks in the Valley and I built um, what's now called the Woodman model, which is like my take on a modernized, like, Tele-style shape mm-hmm. uh, for a guy, uh, Bo Burchell, who plays in this band, Seosin. And he was actually my first customer <laughs> um, and also my first artist at the same time. And uh, that was the first actual, like, Balaguer guitar, I guess, uh, officially, that I built. Uh, when I lived in California and then I moved back to Pennsylvania a a few years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I built a handful of those guitars. Uh, everything was, was done by hand and it was, you know, painstakingly long because it was just me. Um, but over the years, uh, going to the NAM show, connecting with different suppliers through, you know, hardware companies and talking to other luthiers and guitar builders in the industry. Um, I was able to partner with a really small South Korean shop and that allowed me to really open up, you know, uh, the doors to, you know, offering more affordable guitars to people that didn't want to, you know, spend upwards of two, $3,000 on a custom guitar and also didn't want to wait the, the long time it took me to build them. It, it's kind of shocking how affordable your your uh, line is. The um, the standard line, uh, uh, it's 
well under what most guitar. I, I like. I had to double take. I said, "Wait, did I miss a comma, or what in here?" <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, those are very accessible uh, for the you know average person. I'm not going to say yeah. the, what you thought I was going to say. <laughs> well, the the standard series is brand new for us uh, at the NAM show actually, and those are built in China at the um, same factory that builds like Dingwall basses and Gretsch guitars. Um, so those are brand new for us. And those are at that lower price point, like the six ninety nine, seven ninety nine. But the, the South Korean stuff is sits like right in the middle, like, you know, between eight ninety nine to like 1400. Right. Uh, type of deal. But, um, but yeah, that's always kind of been my thing is, uh, trying to, stay true to our quality standards and our like um, design philosophy and, and using proper hardware and, uh, and pickups that we make and, and everything, um, but offering various product lines that kind of hit uh, different price points for people that, like I said before, don't want to spend a, a ton on their first guitar or maybe they need a... Uh, you know, a guitar that they don't mind touring with and beating up or what have you. Well, we've mentioned this when other builders have sort of entry-level lines. It's a great way for people who have an affinity for your brand or for your design to be able to get into that brand and still feel part of, uh, part of that brand. Uh, sure. that, that's why that's why we do those. That's why we buy those things that aren't just the same old factory whatever's is because that we want that signature. We want that, and we know we have an affinity to, to that brand, or we we know somebody that we really like who plays that brand, and you know, want to kind of be like, hey, I'm, I'm like him or whatever or her or whatever. Um, so when you started doing that, I think something that I always wonder about when someone makes a a, a switch to, or at least a transition to, uh, I'm building everything. And I talk a bit with Chase about this all the time because he's like, he's like craftsman, you know, <laughs> and and he, like it is difficult for him mentally even to give up one single thing from his guitar build, let alone the entire guitar build. So, from someone who is building each of these things, you know, one at a time by your own hands, to then migrate that into you are creating a design and you're managing that design. Can you tell us a little bit about how that might've gone? Sure. Um, so when I first kind of, uh, delved into, um, doing any kind of like overseas manufacturing, uh, I went through probably, I don't know, seven or eight prototypes of just one model, uh, with the first Korean shop that I was working with in this Korean shop, builds a lot of great guitars, Reverend and a whole bunch of others. And, uh, it was one of those things where we just weren't seeing the product, like the end product that we wanted. It wasn't representing exactly what I envisioned. Um, so we ended up moving from them and, uh, working with the smaller shop and we've been with them ever since for the past four, four and a half, five years almost now. Um, and it really just, it takes time. Uh, there's a lot of prototyping that needs to happen. There's a lot of back and forth communication. I mean, I, I speak to my team in Korea every single day, multiple times a day, 
uh, usually late at night <laughs> because their 8.30 or my 8.30 p.m. is their 8.30 in the morning. Um, so I tend to chat with them, uh, you know, later at night. But anyway, um, it it is tough. It, it, I feel like it takes a certain type of um, business owner, especially if you're like a product designer or a luthier or craftsman of anything. Um, you need to be comfortable with letting go of the reins a little bit and taking a risk and seeing if it's something that is worthwhile because just, you know, sending your designs overseas, getting something manufactured, getting a prototype, it doesn't mean you need to put it into, into production. Um, and I had to keep reminding myself that because there were certain instances where I was like, Oh man, like I, I don't want to, um, you know, put all my eggs in this basket because it is, uh, a venture that costs, you know, a considerable amount of money to, to get into. Um, it's not like any builder can just find a factory and just kind of, you know, you're off to the races <laughs> building a bunch of uh, guitars at a lower price point. There's definitely an investment involved. So, um, you have to make sure it's the right move for the business. And it, it takes a while to learn the idiosyncrasies of, of overseas manufacturing. And it's, you know, it's been a learning experience for me and I've just been lucky enough to team up with a shop that really understands like high quality and uh, quality over quantity where a lot of factories, um, not just in Korea, but in China and Indonesia uh, tend to kind of look at it differently uh, and more focused on quantity. So I feel like my situation is a little different um, and is somewhat of an anomaly because uh, the shop that we work with in Korea, there's only eight people. Um, it's not a huge uh, factory. Um, everything is, is very controlled. Um, and it took time to get it to that point. So, uh, I think, you know, I just kind of fell into it and got lucky and really, um, just focus on the things that I thought mattered from the beginning. And that's just kind of where we're at now. It sounds like it could be extremely daunting, especially at the beginning. How difficult was it to, I guess, wrap your head around find going about finding that and and also you know i know you mentioned the cost when we had pierce salem on um you know that was part of the conversation it was very interesting to, to hear his path what was the biggest hurdle in your process so far uh i would say the biggest hurdle was when i was first getting involved in overseas manufacturing um i saw how the prototyping phase went and then once you get past that point it's like okay if you're working with a larger factory, which I did work with before I started partnering with this smaller shop that I've been with for years, um, they expect a certain quantity that you have to order. Right. And, uh, you know, if you don't have 20, 30, 40 grand in the bank, it's, you know, it, it's something that you have to kind of be like, okay, well, do I want to invest in myself and go get a business loan or go crowdfund or, you know, figure out how I can get these funds to, to grow the business, um, and get these guitars in stock. Uh, it, that, that was probably the turning point for me to kind of realize like, well, do I want to just, you know, not go down this road and focus on continuing to build these 
USA built custom guitars or do I want to kind of try and juggle both and see how things turn out? Um, so that was definitely a turning point for me for sure. But I got lucky with, uh, I launched a Indiegogo campaign when I first launched my business after I moved back to Pennsylvania, um, from California in lieu of, uh, you know, talking to this South Korean shop and, and getting these prototypes made. And I was able to raise, you know, enough money to get the first order placed. And that just kind of snowballed from there. And the guitars were selling well, and we were able to place additional orders after that. And that's just kind of how it worked. Um, I'm sure my story is a little different than maybe most people that go the more traditional route of getting like a large bank loan and everything. But I tried to be as conservative as possible with the funding. So yeah, um, that's just kind of how I went about it. Yeah, boy, there's there's a lot of interesting stories that we've um, run into. Um, I, I I'm thinking of Nick Greer uh, of Greer. Oh, Hips. I love Nick. Yeah, and he <laughs> yeah. shared some stuff, w- which I guess I was I was surprised when he was sharing some of his like how he was doing his business operation because. Um, I just figured that everybody just went and got bank loans or whatever and, and, you know, and then you off to the races and, and hearing his story was, um, uh, which by the way, Nick, uh, you still, you, you, you swore to me <laughs> twice. You're going to come on the show now. So I'm even wearing a shirt <laughs> I'm today. I'm just saying, come on, bro. Um, <laughs> I love Nick. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's such a good dude. Great guy. Um, it would be, he would be even be greater standing with us if he would come on the show <laughs> but uh I anyhow mean, yeah his booth was across from mine when yeah, last yeah, year's summer yeah. nam and whenever we had a minute we would shoot the breeze yeah such a great dude yeah and by the way if if you ever are down there in the nick greer land over by his shop and you're just passing by and you want to say hey i want to go say hi to big nick you can also stop in to uh see baxendale guitars oh and that the guys that do the uh the harmonies, the, the harmonies and, and the k's, k's yes. and all that, that shop tour is awesome and uh, that's uh, episode 115, by the way. We 115? Seems like a lifetime ago. It does. It does. But anyways, let's talk about design. Uh, sure. I think, is it safe to say that your flagship model is the Espada? Yes. Yep. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, Espada is Spanish for sword. Very cool. You didn't call it El Sword. That's <laughs> that might have, you know, determined the success or failure. <laughs> right. Right. The sword. <laughs> Spanish for the sword. <laughs> uh, so you've got some really interesting uh, design decisions here. Can you talk about this a little bit? Sure. Um, so I just approach it from a standpoint of Obviously, all the guitars have some type of vintage inspiration, whether it's the silhouette of the body shape uh, or the pickguard shape or just the choices of appointments. Um, But really, like the overarching, I guess, design philosophy that I have is just trying to make things a a bit more ergonomic and modern um, for the modern day player. So, like for me, growing up playing Fenders, Gibsons, uh, the things I would change uh, would be like changing the, the neck heel to be contoured instead of a block heel or um, weight relieving uh, certain aspects of the Les Paul or um, 
doing a different angle on the headstock and doing a larger volute, um, straight string pull. There's just a lot of things that I, when I'm designing a new model or uh, a new headstock shape or something, I'm always trying to think of, well, what can I improve on something I've already done or something that I've seen um, from guitars that I've played in the past growing up. Uh, so that's really like the, the overarching theme is just trying to, you know, put out a guitar that is an improved design, uh, but still unique in its own, own way. How about, uh, some of the hardware decisions that you've made? Sure. Um, so we use, you know, uh, hip shot, we've used mastery trams. Um, I tried to gravitate towards hardware companies that are doing cool and innovative stuff and improving on designs that uh, needed improvement. Um, you know, it, it's a love or hate thing, but we also use Evertune Bridges and uh, so many guys that are studio musicians or even producers um, that own studios love those bridges. Uh, they take a huge hunk out of the wood, which is, you know, you can make that argument all day <laughs> uh, if that affects the tone or not. And I'm not going to speak to that, but uh, <laughs> the bridge itself, um, the way the springs and levers react to uh, each individual string, it, it's very cool um, piece of kit. So we, we try and just align ourselves with companies that are trying to push the envelope and improve, you know, the instrument. Um, but those are a few that we, we like to partner with and pickups as well. Like I love partnering with smaller pickup companies that are trying to do cool stuff like border pickups and Lambertones, Lawler, all that kind of stuff as well. Fishman. How about in terms of, of, of woods and things that you're using? Um, do you have like a preference that you use on almost all of the models or is that kind of open to, uh, what the customer wants to use? Uh, I definitely make suggestions, but one thing that we've been offering since almost the get-go is uh, roasted maple mm -hmm. uh, for necks and fingerboards um, over regular maple. We still offer regular um, quarter-sawn maple for necks, but uh, that's something I adopted pretty early on uh, in like 2014, 2015, just to, um, you know, especially for the touring guitarist, uh, having thermally modified wood that brings the moisture content down to like two, 3% instead of, you know, the normal content that's in the wood. Uh, it definitely helps in the long run with humidity changes and fluctuations. So that's an interesting as, take. We haven't heard that before. Oh, really? It's yeah. surprising. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, working with roasted wood, um, some people call it torrified. Some people call it tempered. It's all the same thing. It's just cooked wood. Um, I, I really like using that because, uh, I, I, I know the result every time it's, it's always a very stable, solid wood. Um, but with body woods, I mean, it really depends on what the customer's going for. Uh, if I know someone wants to order a multi-scale seven string and is tuning down to some crazy low tuning, um, and they want to do a mahogany neck and a mahogany body, I might, <laughs> I might steer them away and be like, Hey, let's, 
talk about this and maybe let's do a swamp ash body and a five piece maple walnut neck or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely times where I step in, but I try and let, let the customer be as, uh, creative as possible. And does that, does that go for both the, the ones that you're building in the U S as well as the, uh, overseas models? I mean, are there some options, you know, in terms of choosing woods, uh, on the overseas yeah. models? Yeah. So the, the, we have two, uh, series that we do within the South Korean shop. There's the select series, which is the production guitars, um, that are built in small runs, usually 12 to 20 guitars, and then there's the select custom guitars still built in the same shop, but it's only, they're only built by two or three guys instead of eight people. Okay. Um, and those guitars, uh, there's more options to choose from. And what's cool about the roasted maple is we actually source the Canadian hard rock maple. We drop ship it. And my production manager, John works with a furniture supplier in Korea and they roast the maple for us so we can control the entire roasting process. Um, and we're one of the only shops that I know of in Korea that does that. Um, as far as the USA stuff, I just buy the roasted maple from uh, either American Specialty Wood in Michigan or a few other suppliers. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, a, that's a big part of the, um, the Korean guitars is, is the fact that we, we control a lot of the, the wood procurement and and stabilization of it. That's cool. Now, are you doing primarily uh, bolt neck models, or do you do some set or neck throughs? Uh, we do all three. Okay. Um, yeah, so for the neck through stuff, uh, we can do neck through basses or guitars. Um, we usually use uh, hard rock Canadian maple um, or roasted maple with walnut stringers. Um, and then we do two graphite reinforcement rods on either side of the truss rod channel under the fingerboard. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, we do set necks as well, um, in various woods and bolt-ons. Yep. Okay. And are there some options in terms of like fingerboard materials? Yeah. Um, I mean, so you can go rosewood, you can do maple, ebony. Yeah. We, we offer, um, ebony, uh, we don't dye the ebony though. So it is streaky, uh, but it's, it's not Macassar ebony per se, but it's just a, you know, it's pretty dark. It just has some brown streaks in it. We offer rosewood, purple heart, um, regular maple, roasted bird's eye maple. Um, try That's else. excellent with potatoes, <laughs> by the way. Probably palfaro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but the USA stuff that I do, um, the wood options are kind of endless because. There's only certain stuff we can source and drop ship over to Korea that makes sense for us to offer. So we have like a smaller selection mm-hmm. of uh, of woods for that. But for the USA stuff, I've I've sourced a bunch of different woods for those. So um, so yeah, pretty much if it's available and it's a stable wood, I'm I'm down to use it for sure. Cool. Uh, in, in your U.S. production, I mean, in terms of the total guitars that you're producing, what percentage would you say mm-hmm. is uh, ones that you're actually making here in the U.S.? Well, that's definitely increasing this year because um, up until, I would say, middle of last year, I was just building them when I could and then selling them when I finished them. I wasn't taking on any customer orders because I became so inundated with all of the Korean and, and other overseas stuff we were doing, it was, 
greatly outweighing our USA production. Mm -hmm. And that was by my own doing. I closed the order books for the USA stuff. And I said, listen, I'm just going to build guitars that I want to build creatively. And just when they're done, I will post them for sale or I'll email our dealers and see who wants to buy them. Um, because I, I just, I didn't want to have a, you know, two year wait list or something crazy because I was just accepting every order that came in. Um, but this year, uh, we scaled production, um, because for the last year I've been prototyping with a, a USA based CNC shop that was bigger than what we were using at the time, uh, before that. And, uh, we're going to be ramping that up. So we'll be able to do, um, way more USA orders this year. So I'm pretty stoked on that. So oh, that's, that's cool. That's really what, you know, I love doing. Don't get me wrong. I like <laughs> running the business and doing the overseas stuff too, but that's, you know, my passion is, is definitely building guitars. Any, so as you're ramping that up, are, can you tell us about and maybe any new models or anything that you might be releasing or are you, do you working on new designs at all? Uh, so there are a few models in the pipeline. Um, but as far as the USA stuff is concerned, we're working on standardizing, um, a few USA runs for some of our dealers, um, just to kind of test the waters with doing more of like a standardized USA built guitar that has maybe a few different finishes, all the same neck woods and fingerboard woods, almost like a USA production series, but on a very small scale. Um, talking about like, you know, four to eight guitars at a time. Um, so that's something that's going to be new for us this year. Uh, but other than that, it's really just, you know, kind of allowing some custom orders to come through that are commissioned by customers. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for that because, uh, yeah, just before every order was so vastly different, like I was working on this crazy baritone build and this other build had an aluminum neck and they were just so vastly different every time that, uh, the build times would just get so long that I had to, had to make a decision. <laughs> um, but yeah, this year for sure, we're getting back to doing more of a standardized USA line and then allowing a few custom orders to come in every few months and working through those as they come through. But, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you mentioned that most of your guitars are like, I mean, I think this can be said for just about any guitar made, but there's, uh, there is inspiration, you know, far reaching inspiration from classic designs and stuff. But when you, you know, you just also mentioned you love, building the guitars that's like that's your passion so i'm curious what are how where do you draw inspiration or what are things that when you say oh my gosh i love the idea of doing this or that gives me a great idea like can you uh, you know let us in on some of that sure um i definitely pull inspiration from older guitars uh whether it's the aesthetics or the pickup options um and that's kind of what led me to finding out about Lambertone pickups and, and Brian at Porter pickups. Who's an awesome guy. I don't know if you guys have talked to him yet, but, um, I actually gave him some samples of, um, some of my parts that I have manufactured. I own some molds. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm not sure 
He hasn't uh, called me about it or responded, but I was walking around Nam with some of the stuff I make and and um, just kind of offering something a little better than the norm. That that's come up uh, nice. a couple times, so yeah, probably reach out to him or uh, maybe we can talk offline about that. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, see if we can get him on the show. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. So uh, aside from the Mr. Porter's pickups. You've established yourself as in, in the modern playing realm, um, and uh, you know I think you, some of your designs have are decidedly geared towards that. But for someone who's looking for a guitar that looks and feels and plays uh, specifically for that kind of, of uh, playability or music, what can you tell them about like your guitars as far as why that might match up? So I, I think it just comes from. Um, the fact that growing up playing guitars that maybe had <clears throat> softer fret wire or, you know, not so great tuners or, um, a nut that, uh, wasn't cut correctly or what have you before I even learned how to build guitars, um, going into designing my own guitars, uh, I wanted to make sure all of those problems were never apparent or present in the guitars. So, Someone who's looking for a modern guitar, I would say in our guitars, you would find stainless steel frets instead of nickel frets. And that's standard across our Korean line and our USA line. Um, locking tuners. Obviously, you can get standard tuners, non-locking tuners if you wanted. But locking tuners are standard on all of our guitars, even the guitars made in China, Korea, or the US. Um, and then finally, we use Graftech nuts. Um, we can make bone nuts as well if that's something you prefer. I would rather not use animal bone for nuts. That's a whole other conversation. But um, we use Graftech because it's it's just consistent and, and they're just a great company to deal with. So um, those three things I think really uh, help um, not only tuning stability but just like in the long term uh, ownership of a guitar that you're paying good money for. I feel like should be standardized appointments, um, at least the fret wire. So I guess that's part of it for sure. We're talking about the fret wire, and I'm glad that you mentioned the stainless. Uh, on our last conversation, the Guitar Setup 101, Chase Gullet mentioned, um, you know, if you are a little bit more aggressive with your playing or you're, you know, maybe a little bit more heavy-handed, which, you know, power chords and stuff could come along that more quote-unquote modern type of playing, um, that stainless would be a great way to go also for, you know, touring and stuff. Um, I, this is, it's a very, uh, uh, specific question, but your actual fret wire and the, and the height and, and how you've decided you want that to be, um, if you're, you know, and the setup for this is, uh, you know, like a Tele versus a, a fretless wonder, you know, a Gibson or something like that. Like, where did did you design your fret wire um, for playability, or, or is that a factor? Or? Yeah. So, getting into like the more nerdy side of the specs of the guitars, um, I went with medium jumbo uh, as the fret wire size. Um, you know, we use Jesscar. Uh, medium jumbo fret wire so stainless steel um if anyone listening is familiar with that kind of fret wire that's what we use but i went about using that because it's kind of a good middle ground you know if someone likes jumbo frets or if someone likes 
you know, maybe more narrow, smaller frets. It's right in the middle. Um, so that was just a conscience or uh, just a, a choice that I made that I, I feel like would kind of uh, appease uh, a wider market. But um, yeah, stainless steel frets are, can be very galvanizing in this industry, especially amongst <laughs> repairmen. No, no and, steel and, pun there yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I didn't yeah, even think of that. Yeah, that's yeah. why I mean. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, you know repair shops that don't even want to touch the stuff because it. I mean, it is tougher on your tools. Yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of wear and tear, I, there's probably nothing that wears better or longer than the stainless steel. But um, do you find that that's an issue when you're, uh, and I'm assuming you offer that both in the ones that you're making here and mm -hmm. in the ones in Korea uh, as, as options. I, I mean, is there any pushback from time to time from, from anyone about that? No, um, we've, we've gotten pretty uh, good with the, the whole quality level of uh, even the Korean guitars. So um, when the guitars come over, obviously they, they all go through our 46 point QC checklists. Um, and part of that is checking, you know, that the the, the, the frets are level. Um, and I, you know, if they are ever on level, we, we do a fret level crown and polish, but it's, you know, I can count on one hand how many times we've done that in the last, you know, few years. So, um, on the flip side, I also do repairs locally through our shop and, uh, it does wear on the, you know, the tools, you know, even if you have diamond files and, uh, you know, you go through sandpaper way, way quicker. But, um, I think the payoff in the long run is way better, um, just for the customer or the artist. And I think maybe it was instilled in me from the beginning because, Going back to what I said before about Bo uh, from the band Seosin being our first customer and artist, he was like, I got to have stainless steel frets. And uh, so that's what I did. And um, ever since then, I just kind of stuck with that because I realized, you know, well, this dude tours a lot and he's a, he's a studio engineer and producer and um, it just made sense. Uh, so, you know, why offer anything else? And it's, good, it's been a good selling point for us, too. Like some people, you know, come to us just because we offer those things as standard options. Yeah, awesome. I mean, uh, John DeLorean used stainless steel, too, on his cars. Uh, <laughs> he's just sitting on that weight. Uh, he's like that, chewing yeah, his face off. I was, man. I was That's like, funny. I got to mention John DeLorean. Oh, so in addition to, uh, to guitars... Uh, we talked earlier that you also have uh, at least one pedal. Um, but I also noticed that uh, you are making your own pickups now as an option. Um, yeah. What are, are you seeing? Um, what benefits are you seeing uh, in, in making your own pickups? Uh, definitely being able to control exactly how I want my guitars to sound. Um, but also, I just enjoy designing uh, the pickups that go on the guitars, um, whether they're the Korean or Chinese or USA guitars. Um, I just nerd out about that kind of stuff. The thickness of the magnet, uh, age of wire, the type of resistance, um, the type of magnet, all that kind of stuff that goes into it. Um, so it's just, you know, 
one more thing for me to to get my hands on and to to offer to people um and i you know it never was like a cost thing for me it was more of like a well if i'm going to do this and my name's going to be on the headstock i want to make sure that i put everything i can into this guitar and make it exactly kind of what i envisioned it to be um but along the line you know learning about other cool pickup companies i just I love what everyone does, so we try and offer as much as we can. Awesome. Cool. Jared, wipe the drool off your face <laughs> as soon as you started talking about Magnets. that stuff. <laughs> right. Huh? Yeah, he needs a cigarette now. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, anyways, uh, well, dude, I really appreciate you talking about your guitar stuff and your designs and hopes and dreams and all that stuff. I'm, I'm glad that we got to learn about Bellaguer guitars and... Um, uh, I, you know, everybody, please make sure that you check these out real quick because we still got a little bit left. So take your time. If, if you've been so engrossed and you were like, take your time. oh my gosh, I haven't had a chance to go look at them. Uh, what is it? One more time, Joe. Uh, it's balagaraguitars.com. Perfect. All right. We're going to, uh, dial up Mr. Jared real quick here and he's going to help us. And just forewarning, this is a really good Would You Rather. Mm. All right, man. This one comes from our buddy James Pegler. It's a pretty unique Would You Rather, so buckle up. I'm buckling. Would You Rather. In 1968, George Harrison asked Eric Clapton to play <laughs> on the studio recording of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Oh, I love that song. Clapton recorded... The part using the refinished 1957 gold top Les Paul named Lucy that he had gifted to Harrison. During this era, Clapton used the 1964 SG called The Fool for its psychedelic paint job, like the relic blades in The Song of Roland. Which epic acts would you rather make weep? Ooh. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> to defragment that a little bit, <laughs> you got uh, Clapton's, Clapton's playing the fool, you know, normally, but then yeah. for this one, he played Lucy. <laughs> All right? So you, you got... That's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. You, you are Clapton. Imagine yourself as Clapton. You can choose Lucy or the fool. Is that? I think that's... Yes? Yep. Yeah. Which one would you... Rather make weep. I like that how he signed that the off. The 1964 Gibson SG is still one of their absolute best Ugh. versions of that guitar. <gasps> it has the longer nut at the end, the nut width. It has the pre-T-top patent number PAF pickups. Okay. It's very light. It's a very good guitar. All nickel hardware, great guitar. Anyway, go ahead. I know you're going to cut this out. So. <laughs> I'm not. That's great. I love that All you right, know so get, much get, about get the, a little background. the SG. Because see, that's the that's All the right. fun part. Because I can't. I, I'm not just. I'm not a fan. Of I'm those. a nerd about those SGs. Yeah, but you love them. You got a several of them. Yeah. Uh, now and then the gold top. Uh, what year was that gold top? Did he say? That was a '57. '57 gold top. That's a yeah. That's but another. It was, it, was, it was stripped and done in red. No, really, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, yeah. mm -hmm. all right. 
Um, and Joe gave an affirmative, mm-hmm, like, <laughs> you should yeah. know that, Todd. <laughs> Todd, come on, Todd, get with the program. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know it. I... All right. Um, Tony Baloney, what are you doing? I'm going to have to go with the fool because, I mean, that that is such, I mean, just the, the, the paint job on the guitar, the number of people's hands that it's passed through over the years. Todd uh-huh. Rundgren over, owned it for a, a, a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just looks, I mean, you know, the, the, the Les Paul is cool, and but it's not, it, it looks like a Les Paul. It's just, yeah. you know, it's like a, you know, a plain top cherry, cherry uh, Les Paul. Right. Versus the Fool, which has all that crazy graphics and stuff on it. Uh, that's that's my choice. I'm going with the Fool. Oh, all right. yeah. Jared? Well, I'm going to go with the 57 Gold Top. Yeah. Why? Be- because I already know every facet of what a 1964 <laughs> SG plays like. I know everything about those guitars. Yes. Well, there's always a bigger fish, so I'm not saying I'm the most knowledgeable. However, I know enough. Yes. I think you displayed that. Give me that. Like, yeah. yeah, you're right. Give me that. Uh, I'm a nerd. I admit it. I love the SGs. Give me the 57 gold top. I don't mm. care if it was refinished. Mm. Give me the 57 all day. Every you know, day. refinishing takes half the value away from the guitar. Me no care none. <laughs> me want 57. All right. I'll take that one. Joe, how about yourself? Well, I'm usually a Les Paul guy over an SG, but yeah, I'm going to have to go with the SG, just the way it looks and the fact that it's been played by so many people, and I'm, I'm going to have to go with the SG. It's just too cool looking. It is. Yeah. Todd? It's lighter, too. You're going to play a Strat, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take the strat. <laughs> hey, take Jimi Hendrix strat that he played at that pop festival. Nope, that's, that's not cool. on the Would You that, Rather that I pop know. festival. <laughs> yeah, that that you know the Monty the Monty Python the pop festival. The one where he burned it, and he did some sort the of thing, thing with his hand. With the, the, thing. the thing with the, the fire, show. you know the the you know. You know, played the musics. The thing. Anyways, <laughs> he strummed the strings. Yeah, yeah we're, everybody's all familiar with it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go with the SG. Whoa! I am. For that same reason, you can't, I mean, uh, that kind of provenance, you can't pass up an opportunity to to just go, yep, I'm not, my fingerprint is now on that in some way. And I think you would be able to somehow coax a little bit of, like deeper mojo out of yourself for that not out of the guitar i'm not saying the guitar is magic but whenever you you know when you have something that's special yeah you, you tend to extend yourself a little bit more so that's what i would be hoping to do i mean i own an sg two years previous to 64 and it's probably my most how favorite many SGs guitar do you have i don't i don't know but that's probably my several. He that's, knows. That's, that's on he top knows. of the guitar list right there. Yeah. It is such a great guitar. Yeah, I guess so. Anyways, um, yep. <laughs> well, you can now welcome to your own island, like I usually am. Yeah, yeah. you know, with your Les Paul. That I'll was take a, the Les Paul. That was I mean, a great I'm... question, James Pegler. Thank you for shooting that on this uh, this George Form. Harrison's uh, birthday. You couldn't go birthday. wrong with those choices. That was that's what was cool about that. Would you rather? Yeah, that yeah. Was it great. wasn't choosing the the better of the worst. It was choosing the better of the best. 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, say that. Tony, mm-hmm. we have one more thing to do before yes, we, we do. wrap this up. We do. We have, to, you... we have to thank a special group of people. Yes. These would be our executive producers. Correct. Amundo. Now, there would be someone out there, I'm sure. Todd, you're probably wondering. Mm-hmm. What is an executive producer? And B, how do I become one? Correct. I'm going to direct these people, this person, over mm-hmm. to pick... No, over to pickguardian.com. Patreon. No good, dirty rap. <laughs> Send me the money. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Marketing genius you are. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. And you'll see a couple of different levels in which you can participate. And yep. each level comes with its own bevy of fine prize packages I and just swag. just sent a whole bunch of them. He did. He yeah. did. So, you know, you get things like picks and stickers and barefoot buttons and t-shirts, t-shirts and, and who's it's, all the stuff. Who's it's and what's it's and all yeah. those things. Um, but huh. there's a level that you can participate in. Yeah. There's actually a second Level. Within that level. A yeah. level within a level. Yes. And both within levels. A, wrapped in a conundrum. Yes. Yeah. The executive producer level. Nice. And in addition to all that great stuff that you get for being an executive producer, the picks and the... We already talked about all that All stuff. that what stuff. What do you get? There's get the, one thing special. That's right. And Jared, what is that? You get to have your name read on the you thing. You get your name read on the thing. Go yes. for it. And we did talk previously about this level within a level. Yeah. So within the executive producer level, we have who we, we've coined our grand poobas. That's correct. Our fez-wearing they bre- brethren. They each got their own fez. Everybody has a fez now. So let's just go through those, shall we? I want to hear those names. You want to hear those names? Why did I my do. phone do this? It just freaked out on me. There it, it is. It, oh, there's the list. So I would like to thank... This group of grand poobas. Tommy Manasco. Sean S. S. Cody Foster. Cody Lane. David Kaminga. Corey Nigro. And Jonathan Jerusik. Yes. A tip of the fez to our brother. all in the grand poobas. Absolutely. Yes. But let's not forget our executive producers. No, no not cannot. for a moment. We Let's go. The backbone of our show. They are That's the right. backbone. And some of these folks, I've been reading their names for so long, I don't even need this list. Yeah. That's right. I'm going to start from our eldest to our newest. Okay. Mr. Tom Brazen, Martin Cliff, John Daly, Chris Kearney, Darren Gregory, Doug Christ, Michael Van Zant, Ken Sayers, Brian Robison, Michael Senchuk, Stefan Lamb. Johnny Knowles, Anthony Lanthrop, John Anglin, Tyler Bray, Brad Partridge, Ty Harmon, Chris Heidel, John Esterly, Tim Nowak, Doug Gann, Justin Jones, Steve Keys, and Brett Alexander. All right. Thank All you, right. each and every one of you. What and if I didn't list. read your name and you are participating as a patron in we Patreon, thank you as we well. thank you. Yeah. As well. All of the supporters. I am truly honored and blown away every time I get any interaction with the with the patrons, and uh, I'm so thankful for them. Thank you. All right. Uh, Joe, 
remind everybody one more time where they can find you. Yes, sir. Uh, it's just www.balagaraguitars.com or just at Guitars on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Hit him up. Uh, find out more about his stuff. Uh, get yourself a fantastic guitar and, uh, and he, will, he will be happy. And we'll be happy. Everybody will be happy. Tony, where can people find you? Go over to PickGuardian.com and you can see some of the things that I offer available for order online. If there's something that you need that isn't available for online ordering, just shoot me an email and I will take care of you personally. You can go over to Instagram uh, at PickGuardian and the number one and see some of the projects we were t- we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Jared? Oh, yes. If you're in need of pickups... If you need a pickup rewound, or if you need anything of that sort, new pickups that are old looking or any noiseless crap jazz like masters, that. yeah, noiseless P nineties, yeah, I figured those out. Well, the noiseless P ninety, that's a Lindy Fraylin thing, but yeah, um, yeah, he, I do those too, but um, yeah. Anyway, uh, check out my Instagram too. I am posting a lot of rewinds, and I, I have a video that I just posted. Check that out. So yeah, fun stuff. If if you need anything or have any questions give me a call or email all right yep. uh you can drop me a an email uh, i'm going to use correct english an email todd at the guitar knobs.com uh, you can also dm me on instagram we would love to hear your stories uh how the show might be playing a part in your guitar life uh as well as your would you rathers like the one that we got from james pegler tonight yep. send them yes. in people awesome uh joe we thank you for your time and for the work that you're doing, the products you're making, and the passion that you're putting into it. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was great talking. You bet. Uh, everyone else, have a fantastic guitar week and subscribe! Yeah! yeah. That uh, sounds like a, like a medicated shampoo, doesn't it? Can you shave good. real quick? Great. It works a lot better if you're naked. No. no. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, that's it for these knobs please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. Visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog, and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also be sure to check out our Instagram at guitar knobs. Catch you next time.